Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I just had the best interview ever with a woman who refers to herself as not your average runner. Her name is Jill Angie, and simply put, she's a champion of women. But she is absolutely not average in any way, shape, or form, as she says. First, uh, she's a self-described fat runner who started running in her late 20s because she believed being thin was the secret to the universe and the path to happiness. Some of you may find this familiar. But what she found after many stops and starts is that the real secret to the universe is to understand that the only thing we have control over is our brains and the choices we make. We talk about this today, including the choice to be happy. Jill and I traveled in concentric circles, that's what I'm calling it, for many years. Uh, We came to the worlds of health and fitness in very different ways, but our end goals are the same. We want to help women find happiness. And men are helped too, because when women are happy, let's face it, men benefit. We all benefit. Uh, When Jill and I finally connected on the phone, I swear it was like a match made in heaven. Uh, I felt so special talking to her until I realized something. Jill is the kind of human being who makes every single person she comes into contact with feel special. So I felt even more special to have the opportunity to spend an hour with her. And this episode is a dual play. We both have podcasts, so we're both publishing it. Uh, Be sure to check out Jill's other episodes at Not Your Average Runner podcast. I I don't think I mentioned she's also a life coach. So there is so much to learn from her beyond running, getting started, being awesome, being relatable, um, but ways to move your life forward in a bigger and better way. Sound familiar? (laughs) Uh, Before we start, I have two quick updates. The first is to make sure you get over to skirtsports.com and use the code RTWPODCAST15 for 15% off the best women's active wear ever in history. Uh, We are going on our 14th birthday soon. So lots of energy and excitement in my world. I think I need to do an episode about skirt sports soon. Um, to commemorate our birthday. So look for that. So finally, the other update is that Jill and I are doing a giveaway. We're giving away a skirt sports product of your choice, anything you want from our website, and Jill's first two books, plus a Not Your Average Runner swag bag. Okay, now listen up. Here's what you have to do in order to potentially win. You have to write a review for both of our podcasts. You can go on iTunes. If you do, you have to literally go to the iTunes app and search our podcasts. And when they come up, you'll see the link to review. If it's already in your playlist, you probably won't see that link. So you kind of have to like research it. 
Um, it's annoying, but it's the only way I could figure out how to do it. <laughs> you can also write your reviews on Stitcher. Um, I actually don't know how many reviews we even have there. Only reviews after September 3rd will count. If you already wrote a review because you're awesome, then write a review on the other person's, right? And share the episode on Instagram and tag us. We will look in all of those places to pick a random winner on or around September 30th. Okay, I think I got it. All right, so you ready? You ready? With that in mind, ready to write a good review and listen to the show? All right, then let's get Jill on. Hi. Perfect. Hi. (laughs) You're like super clean. Wait, let me get my phone on airplane. Did you do that? Because sometimes like little beeps and blips come on the screen. Do you ever get that when you're interviewing? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I like you already. <laughs> this is too fun. Okay, well, let's, you know, I'm really excited about this because we are doing like a dual podcast because you have such an amazing podcast, Not Your Average Runner. Yeah, I like it. Oh, here, let's go off um, video. Wait, are we recording? Are we recording the actual podcast now? I might have already started recording, but (laughs) we may or may not use it. (laughs) Let's go off video. Hold on. How do we do that? They've changed Um, Skype. You just have to, you have to just press the button that looks like the camera. Wait, now I'm muted. Oh, wait, now the video's back. Oh, my God. Okay. Are we good? We got this. Good. I'm good. All right. See, we got this. We can do this. Um, so here's the thing, like we both have these really cool podcasts because we want to help people like that. I've done all kinds of research on you and I've talked to you already. And I just know that that's like your main underlying mission. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, as we discussed last week, the same for you, like it comes so it's so clear in everything that, that you do the same thing as like just getting women out there, being active, feeling good about themselves. Well, you know, I, I agree. We So we are like two peas in a pod. <laughs> we should just combine our podcast, two peas in a podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love that. That's adorable. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think what's really interesting is that our journeys to health and fitness are very, very different. Yet we come to the same result at the end. So maybe we can like start with rolling that out. I'd love to hear, you know, from your words, how did you become a person who is helping others gain greater health and fitness and self-love? Hmm. That's because uh, I, I, I think I had to gain it for myself first, and that was a long process. But once I did, and I saw so many of my, just like my girlfriends struggling with their own self-image, I was like, oh, I feel like somebody gave me to the secret to the universe and I need to tell everyone. <laughs> oh, the secret to the universe. I so love that. But, you know, so it sounds like there was a period of your life when you were not in a place of self-love and you were not, fitness and health were not a priority. Yeah, for sure. Well, It's interesting because I would have told you at any point in my life that fitness and health were a priority, but in reality, I think I thought that they were the path to happiness. And so once I kind of (laughs) realized that being thin was not going to make me happy, um, I was like, okay, (laughs) now I need to figure out a different way. And that's when taking care of myself, like self-care and fitness and health for the purpose of just treating myself well became the priority. And then 
uh, that really, I mean, it's so funny. I say that all the time. It's like my tagline in my own, in my own podcast. I'm like, you guys, I'm going to tell you the secret to the universe. And, um, but I really think that's it, right? Like I, I spent probably till I was about age 40 believing that the secret to happiness was having the body that I wanted. And I tried everything I could to get that. And then somehow I sort of figured out like, oh, wait a minute. Like I would actually lose a bunch of weight and then I would still be miserable. And I'm like, so that's not where, like it took maybe five or six tries of like losing a bunch of weight, not being happy, gaining it all back to realize like maybe there's a different way, I guess. And maybe I can be fit and maybe I can just learn to love my body as it is and stop worrying about you know, some circumstance that's going to make me happy. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. But what a mind blowing and like cruel realization. You know, you spend all this time seeking an end result with the idea that once I get there, something will change and I will be happy. And we can trans, you know, we can transfer this thinking into many different areas of life, like our marriage or you know, our kids, once they become this, I will be this. Um, and how sad is it when you finally achieve this thing you've been gunning for and then you're like, oh, not happy. Didn't yeah. change. It is heartbreaking. And I and I think like so many people that they're constantly chasing these external factors thinking, well, maybe if I just do this, maybe if I just do that. And then every single time their heart breaks and then they have to try harder and harder. And it's like, oh, (laughs) you don't have to be rich or thin or famous or any of those things to be or married, (laughs) right? To be uh, a happy human being. You can just be happy without any of that stuff. You know, I'm going to give an example of a person I live with, which is my husband, Tim, who spent many years, decade plus, chasing the dream of winning the Hawaii Ironman and believing that once he did that, it would be the pinnacle and he would achieve greater happiness. And he did win, and he didn't necessarily achieve greater happiness. What happened was he said, now I have to win again. And he did. But then when you win twice, what, what next? Well, now I have to win again. And he didn't. And that's when the real cracks start to form and it cracks you open. And then you realize now I have to do the work. Ugh. Yeah. And Ugh. the work is what we're avoiding. We're trying Ugh. to fast track it, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, it's like, so I think that's hard. it. It's like we think that if, you know, it's instead of doing the work, I'm just going to win an Ironman. <laughs> I'm just going to win the Ironman, Hawaii, Kona, <laughs> and that'll make me happy. Like it can fast track me. And that's just not how any of that works. <laughs> well, and here I am rooting him along. Gosh, I hope he wins the Ironman because then he'll finally be happy, which means I'll be happier. Oh, right. how horrible is that? Like now you're relying on all these things that you're not even controlling at all. Yeah, it's like you're outsourcing your happiness to something or someone that's completely unqualified to do the job. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And it's only once we get older somehow and gain perspective that, and maybe it's not older, but like more life experiences that add up to give us the perspective to know that that's not the right approach. Like, I don't think I could be having this conversation with you when I was like 26, I could understand it like in my, you know, just inside my own head, I could understand that that makes sense. But still there would be this, no, I've got to push to do this because then this, like you actually have to go through some pain 
to come out the other side a lot of the time. Yeah, I I could not agree more. <laughs> um, so here's here's an, I want to go back a little bit and actually like maybe talk uh, like we I originally started with here. Maybe talk a little bit about your physical journey to starting running and you know what age you were and all that and then maybe I'll share mine because I do think it's really interesting this idea that here we are with the same common goal later in life yet we got here in very different ways yeah I I actually I love that because it for me um running was always some sort of punishment it was like I started running in my, I mean, I I played sports in high school. I played tennis and they, you know, she would make us like do laps around the courts and I hated it. I was just like, this is the worst thing ever. But then somewhere along the line, like in my late twenties, I thought, okay, I'm actually just going to start running just to run because that's going to help me lose weight. Right. It's, it was like the refrain in my mind all the time. And so I would lose a few pounds and then gain it back. And I never really loved running because I associated it with sort of a punishment I guess and I think somewhere somewhere along the line I don't know how I can't really pinpoint the shift but I started to enjoy running for the sake of running because I was doing it on my own terms right I wasn't I I wasn't trying to run a 5k without stopping or I wasn't trying to get you know run an eight minute mile or anything like that I just was like hmm actually I feel pretty good after I go running so maybe I'm going to do this a little more often but I'm going to do it in a way that feels good to me And so I think that's how it evolved for me. It started out as a way to beat myself up or a way to punish myself thin and then ended up being something that I loved. But I had to I had to like meet myself in the middle and not expect that I was going to be like an ultra athlete or anything like that. And once I sort of took that requirement away (laughs) that I could just like actually do it for fun and enjoyment and fitness and self-care rather than as a way to lose weight it it became just like really amazing and and it became therapy it became like something that like I almost like I almost needed it like coffee right it's just like part of how I would prepare myself for the day and and prepare my mind and and all of that but I'm curious that so I'd love to hear how your journey to the same place mm-hmm. is has been different because I suspect it's quite different. <laughs> Very different. And um, but what's really interesting too is that what you're kind of hitting on is this concept of creating new habits. And they and they manifest as like physical activities or things you do throughout a day, but they start in your brain as mm-hmm. shifting the way you think about something, right? Yeah, for sure. And so for me too, um, health and fitness is a habit. It's a priority. And so because I've decided that it will be a priority in my life forever, it's become a habit. And, and for me, habits are like, they're so powerful because when you talk about setting yourself up for the day, it's about making your list or however you do it, right? Looking at your calendar. And for me, it's a constant shifting of priorities. And some sort of health or fitness is almost always on the list. Some days it's not. But uh, it's on the list. It just depends on what level of priority I give it that day. You know, mm-hmm. so interesting. But um, my my road is very different because I have always been an athlete, like not just someone who does activities or you know plays sports sometimes or whatever recreationally uh, is is healthy. I 
have always been an athlete since I was very young. My mom and dad put me in all kinds of sports. I tried every sport, all kinds of good and bad memories of sports, like anything with a ball, not so good, like coordination, not so awesome. I mean, I remember dancing like at my friend's house in maybe like sixth grade and her mom was like, oh, you really can't dance, can you? And I was like, it, I remember that. So it stuck with me like I'm awkward, I'm uncoordinated, I can't dance, but I sure could swim and I sure could run. Um, and anything that required a ball, but that part might not have been great, but man, I could run up and down the field like crazy, you know? So I gravitated into both swimming and running very young. I was a really good runner in junior high and you know, in high school, I, I ended up choosing swimming over running. I swam Olympic trials in high school when I was a sophomore at 16 years old. I was recruited to college. You know, I was, I was a swimmer. So if you would ask me, what do you do at that period of time in my life? I swam. I was also a student, but I swam. That was my identity. You know, isn't that interesting? Yeah, very for sure. Different. Yeah, and so, um, but what happened to me is that I also went through all kinds of ups and downs along the journey, just my body was changing, you know, puberty, I, you know, I hit plateaus, I never got much faster after I got into college, I wasn't going to swim in the Olympics, so after college I was sort of despondent, I didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, just started dabbling in temp work and all kinds of stuff that wasn't really necessarily putting me in a positive place to go forward in life. So I actually did this really cool exercise. It's bringing me all the way back to this idea of habit and priority. Um, when my, my mom noticed that I was, you know, I complained to her that I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was sort of starting to feel despondent a little bit and she, I think, uh, might have seen that this could lead to something like depression or something like that, which I don't even know if that was like a buzzword or a topic that people talked much about in the mid-90s, but I went to see a counselor, like a social worker, I think, and she said, well, you, what you're experiencing is totally normal. Like when people don't have something that they wake up and look forward to, you know, you could definitely be starting to display signs of depression. And so what I encourage you to do is a certain exercise that may help you find something that you may want to pursue to give you that purpose when you wake up every day. And so she said, I want you to go home and write down all the times in your life, and at that point, my 22-year-old life, um, <laughs> where you have felt the most alive, the times when you have been happiest. And I want you to just write them all down. Don't think about it. And then let it sit and then come back to it and see if there's a theme or something that kind of rises to the surface there. And so I did this exercise, and when I looked at my list, I realized that the times in my life were the times when I felt the most fit or healthy. And I realized right then that those were the times when my mind was also the clearest. 
And so it hit me, and, and what has now become kind of a founding principle of my life is that when my body is fit and strong, my mind is fitter and stronger too. And I just realized at 22 years old that no matter what I did in my life, I had no idea I would become a professional triathlete one day, but whatever I did in my life, I would need to make sure that I carved out time for fitness so that I could maintain that mind-body health. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) It really is. And I I love, it's just so much about this whole story that I love, (laughs) Um, but it amazes me. So for you, fitness is like a founding principle and it's not about having a certain body or having a certain accomplishment of being a professional triathlete, which damn, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, But it sounds to me like it's more about like, that's how you take care of yourself. And then the the sort of side effects of having that be a, a founding principle are, you know, having the body that you want, having a career as a professional triathlete, like all of these things are, they're not things to chase, they're things that are sort of a byproduct of making fitness um, a founding principle like that. It, am I am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, you are. But you know, it doesn't mean I didn't go through the whole the whole body image thing, you know? Like, <laughs> I think you can't be a woman in this day and age without having some sort of body image. Well, yeah, of course. And so, you know, I did struggle a lot with my body and how I looked at myself and how I thought others saw me. At this point in my life, I don't care anymore. It's just, it's it's not important to me. But um, the the fitness, the founding principle of fitness definitely helped me put together that your mind and body are connected. And I would always notice that when I let myself get out of shape, I would start to have more negative thoughts in general. And I don't, you don't need to be winning an Ironman to be fit either. Like I am happy doing like hiking and yoga five days a week, not every, you know, five activities a week now. It's different than when I was, you know, working out 12 workouts a week and, and 30, 40 hours. It's so, but it's still a priority. Yeah, I just, I love that. It's like, it's like, okay, these are the things I do every day for myself. I brush my teeth, (laughs) I take a shower, I get some activity, like some sort of, like there are the, the minimum baseline things that you need to do on a routine basis to keep your mind and body where, where you want it to be. And that's, like, I think when you make it a non-negotiable like that, it's so, it's so powerful because then it's not like I'm doing this to get to a goal. It's like, no, this is maintenance. This is just how I feel my best. So, um, you know, it's like the food that we eat too, right? Like I noticed that if I eat nothing but cake and ice cream, <laughs> I don't feel very good. My mind doesn't work as well. My body doesn't work as well. So, but when I like make choices of, you know, lots of, lots of fruits and vegetables for me, like I feel amazing when I eat like that. And so it's just like, okay, that's a founding principle for me. It's like, don't put crap in your body. <laughs> well, and, and I love that. And you you made a really good point, which was you make your choices. Yeah. And so we make our choice. We eat this or we don't eat this. We work out or we don't. We can be happy or we can be miserable. Yeah. Like that's a really powerful one. Do you really believe that you can choose whether you decide to be happy or not? 100%. (laughs) 
<laughs> how does someone choose that? There's people listening who are like, I'm totally miserable. I don't, I don't believe you. <laughs> so, well, here's the thing. I, I teach this a lot on my own podcast is that I had this deep belief that, you know, in our lives, our thoughts, our thinking, our brain is the only thing that we have 100% control over. We really don't have control over what other people do, what happens in the world, the weather. We don't we don't really have all that much control over our bodies. We can influence what happens, but like, you know, we can get sick. We we don't always have control over that, but we do have control about how we think about everything. And I believe that you know, there are circumstances in the world, the facts of our lives, the data, so to speak, we have thoughts and opinions about that. And those thoughts create emotions. And everything we do, every action that we take is a result of a feeling or emotion that we have in our body. And so, you know, if, if you're looking to change a habit, it's as simple as thinking something that creates a feeling of, I don't know, motivation or excitement or determination that drives the action of keeping that happen. And that habit creates our results. And so like we can choose whatever we want to think to create the results that we want in our life. Now most people think, "Oh, I can't really choose my thoughts. I'm just wired to think this way or I don't know, I just woke up in a bad mood." And I think most of us are not really aware <laughs> of what our thoughts are most of the time. They're there. We're just not really paying attention either because we've thought them so much. We've been taught to think that way since we were, you know, a little a little kid or something like that. And so it's become so habitual that we don't even notice it's in there or because our thoughts are so like painful or negative that we're like, I, I'll be damned if I'm going to listen to that, <laughs> that thought. And so we do things like Facebooking or overeating or even like, you know, some people over exercise in a way to like quiet the negative voices instead of saying, Hey, I don't actually want to think that way. Let me think of, let me decide how I want to think on purpose so that I can feel better. Oh, I love this. And I know you sometimes uh, refer to it as your inner mean girl. <laughs> yes. I just totally <laughs> understand that because of course I, you know, the movie Mean Girls is like super, it's a comedy, but it's so real. So yeah. you just imagine those girls, but they're in your own head and you're actually yeah. them in your yeah. head to yourself. Yeah, exactly. And we, and we don't even realize that it's a voice in our head. We just think, oh, like, when we think the thought, I'm so slow, and this happens a lot with the with the runners that I work with, they're just like, oh, I'm just a slow runner. I'm like, no, no, that's your opinion. The, the facts are, this is the pace that you ran. You can decide whether that's fast or slow or medium, or you can think whatever the hell you want about it. Um, it's the inner mean girl, like that thought that we have about the facts of our lives that, you know, and the inner mean girl is basically a combination of, you know, every girl you ever knew <laughs> in high school, your mom, your sisters, you know, the people that you see on social media, like that inner mean girl is basically just all of the um, stuff that you've been exposed to over years and years and years and internalized. And it's all optional. It's all it, like, and once you really get that, that, like, it's all optional, it's so powerful and so freeing. But like, until you get to that point, it feels like you're being victimized by your own mind. <laughs> yeah, so true. Is there, you know, you're, since you're a coach and a life coach, you know, you take like a holistic approach. Um, is there a somewhat common sort of mean girl stream of consciousness or mean girl topic that people seem to, I don't know, 
tell themselves more often than others? Uh, yeah, I think with women, it's uh, there's always some body flaw, right? It's, oh, I have cellulite, my arms are too fat, my stomach's too fat, my neck's too, like whatever it is, there's always, the inner mean girl always picks out the quote unquote problem areas, which drives me bananas because, because giving our, like putting a standard of excellence on how someone's body looks, I think is, it's so ridiculous because it's completely arbitrary. And what's, what's super, you know, perfect in one society is the opposite of perfect in another society. And so, you know, I, I think the, the inner mean girl is always some version of you're not good enough. You don't measure up. And a lot of times it comes up with body flaws. Um, with my runners, it very often comes up with, um, everybody else is faster than me or everybody else can run farther than me or, um, you know, running is so easy for everyone else and not for me. (laughs) Like no running is hard for everybody. That's just how it is. But, yeah, it's always the inner mean girl is always some version of you're you're not good enough, you're not worthy. Yeah, you know, and it's also tied into how we label ourselves. It's like mm-hmm. not only not good enough, but there's like a word we put for who we are, what we look like. It's usually what we look like. Mm-hmm. Labels. Why do we label ourselves? I don't know. I don't think it's helpful. No, <laughs> it's, it's really not. Not. It's not. It's not. But it does even you know. Like you, you have a series of books that are awesome. Not your average runner, um, not your average five k, not your average half marathon. Any? Am I missing any? I don't think so. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> there might be a few more in your head, but like you know, to get to that point, you had labeled yourself as like I'm fat, but I'm still yeah. going to be a runner, so I'm going to be a fat runner. So is that a label? Is that, and is it okay to have that label if you don't have a negative emotion attached to it? You're just describing it like a kid would say that person, they would say their skin color, that person is peach, that person right. is tan, you know, like, yeah, it's yeah. just what it is. There's no, no emotion attached to it. So are labels like dangerous only when there's emotion? I, I think you just hit the nail on the head is that when there's an emotion attached to it, that's when it can get tricky, right? If we we can label something just based on its circumstantial characteristics, and it's not till we have a thought and we make it mean something that it it has any value or or that it becomes a problem. And so I think when you make it mean, you know, if I call myself a fat runner, which I do, and like I don't make it mean anything about me except that I'm awesome, <laughs> because. You know, it's physically harder to run when you're carrying extra weight. And so I'm like, well, that just makes me more of a badass, right? Like, this is what I choose to make it mean. So to me saying, oh, I'm a fat runner has nothing to do with me not being good enough, me not being worthy or anything like that. It's just like, oh, this is a character. Like, I have brown hair. I'm five foot four inches tall. I'm fat. Like, I just look at that as like information about me. But a lot of us use it as a reason to beat ourselves up. And I think that's where the labels can get tricky. I mean, what has your experience been with, uh, because you work with a pretty wide population of, of runners, of, of athletes, right, with skirt sports. So what has your experience been? Um, Oh, the exactly the same. I mean, it's everyone's on their own journeys. It's some people have found their way to places of peace and self love and acceptance. And acceptance, not only of like what they look like, but like the shit you've done in the past. 
Like, yeah. it's it might still be, like, hidden. Like, so you're not, like, you know, you're not walking around with a sign on your chest that's like, I cheated on my husband and blah, blah, blah. Like, you're just, it's it's who you were. You've done it and you've moved on. Like, you've been gone through a process to get yourself to a good point, right? Um, but there's a lot of people who are in that place of seeking happiness, they're finding it in bits and pieces and they're, you know, in a really good community of supportive women who can share their own trials and tribulations. And they've also, in my world, already stumbled upon health and fitness. Mm-hmm. So that to me is a really positive first step because we know that, you know, your body creates happy chemicals when you move it. Mm-hmm. And so that alone, the fact that they're starting to make it a priority or surrounding themselves by other people who do, which is a huge step in the right direction, you know, um, that's going to get them potentially into a better place as they gain more life experiences. I have a, a cool story about a woman who has been on the podcast before. Her name's Kara Burns. Um, she, I... I met her through our nonprofit called Running Start. So we help women who have barriers to health and fitness um, regain their sense of self and confidence and courage and strength and all those things that fitness provides you through training for their first 5K. And Kara had recently been uh, released from federal prison for selling drugs. And she was a former meth addict and has had all kinds of problems. And she came into our very first meeting and she almost bailed because she looked around the room and she thought, I've made a huge mistake. These are not my people. I don't think I have anything in common with them. And when, as soon as I can, I'm just gonna bolt. And she sat through our icebreaker, which is like incredibly um, emotional. It's when people share why they're here. And she started to listen to the stories of other women as they went around the room. And some of them said, I have lost who I am. And along the way, I've gained 100 pounds, you know, and that might have been a story. I have lost a child. I have a child with severe developmental issues. I have been through breast cancer. Like she started to realize that, yeah, these women might not have been to prison, but they've all been through something. And we're all here because we want to move our lives forward. And so when it got to her, she said she she explained to everyone that she was going to leave until she started to listen to their stories. And then she realized that you are my people and I am meant to be here. And my goal in my life moving forward is to make positive choices and positive connections. And I feel that I'm doing that right now. So, and here's the thing, Kara, went on not only to finish the 5K, but to run a marathon just a few months later. Now she sits on the board of that nonprofit. Oh, <laughs> so awesome. Oh, but like, oh my God. I know my whole point of even sharing her story um, is that the people you mentioned, like the people I work with and who I'm surrounded by in my community with Skirt Sports is, it's a community. That's the whole point, is that yeah. we're not alone in the world. Like if we were meant to be alone, like with this world wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be able to have babies, you know, like <laughs> we are meant to be around other human beings and you have a choice with who you surround yourself by. 
So if that person does not share some of your important, say, founding principles, it might be time to let that relationship go and move on and find people who do share your priorities. Right. Well, what is that? And I don't know who it is that says it, but there's, I keep seeing it. You are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Oh, I like that. And so, because because I think like a lot of our belief systems that we have, especially you know as women in twenty in our twenties and thirties, are a result of the people that we spent time with in our teen years when we're when our brains are really starting to form patterns and and so we kind of end up with this belief system that's kind of been handed to us, right? We don't really know that it's optional and. And if you keep surrounding yourself with people that have those belief systems, like they're just going to get more and more ingrained. And it doesn't really, you can't really change that until you see an example of what's possible. So it sounds to me like the the woman that you're just telling me about, like, wasn't able to see it until other people spoke up. And if those people hadn't spoken up, if you hadn't had them do that exercise, right, like who knows where she'd be right now. But it's such a great demonstration of how, you know, like sharing your experiences with other people and telling your your truth, basically, like, hey, this is me. I've done some things that I'm not super proud of, but it's okay. Everybody's the same. Like, that's just so, it's just so powerful to see other people that have gone through what you've gone through and either, you know, risen beyond it or been able to make those changes because then you see it as like, oh, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it. And that's like just that possibility, that shift in the thinking of this is my lot in life. This is right. This is as far as I can go to, oh, hey, maybe something different is possible for me is like the biggest gift you can give somebody. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's so it's like eyes wide open, mind wide open. Yeah. And that there is, you know, chemical changes that happen in your body when you when you start to focus on having a positive mindset, you know, mm-hmm. you become more open, you stand taller, your shoulders, are like literal physical changes. And then versus when you have negative thoughts and you're shrinking and you're closed. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. We're talking about relationships. Actually, we're all about women, right? And we're going to come back to women, but I think we should talk about men for a minute because you were married when you started this journey into running and eventually like triathlon. And he was, he was like an Ironman triathlete, wasn't he? (laughs) And I didn't even ask you if like, this is off the, like (laughs) if we can talk about this, but like, I feel like it's important to understand like, was he part of your journey or was he not able to adjust to the new person you were becoming? Yeah, so it's it's that's an interesting question, and I had I'd started running before I met him, and I mean I I got married pretty late in my thirties, and so I'd been running for a while, and one of the things that I thought would make me happy, in addition to being thin, was being married, and so um, when we met, I had I'd been running off and on for maybe six six years or so, seven years. And he was, uh, you know, he was a runner and a triathlete at the time. And so I thought, oh, this is so great. <laughs> like, he's going to keep me motivated. But of course, we would go out. This is so just, I tell the story and I laugh about it now. At the time, it was really humi- humiliating. But we would go out to work out together and I would be running and he would be walking next to me. Like, 
<laughs> that's just, <laughs> it was just like, can you just not do that? Like, can you even at least pretend to run even though you're going really slow? Because he would walk, his walking pace was my running pace. And so, but honestly, like he's actually an amazing, amazing human being. And, um, was super supportive of all the changes that I made. So as I started running more, as I, you know, did triathlons and half marathons and so forth, as I started my first business, he was 100% on board with that. And I just think as I grew with a person, I realized that, that he and I were not really a great match. And it took a, it was hard. And I don't think I could have done it until I, you know, got to the point where I realized I can choose how I want to look at this. I can choose my future. And I realized like for both of our sake, I needed to choose differently. I needed to choose to leave the marriage so that he could maybe find somebody that was better suited to him so that I could certainly do the same. So there's no animosity whatsoever. Um, He's been a very supportive person. But yeah, it was weird being a woman almost 300 pounds with a husband who's an Ironman triathlete. Now he's, he wasn't winning any, (laughs) he wasn't winning Kona, but still like just being around somebody with that level of commitment to their fitness was, um, like it was, it was a blessing and a curse because many times I felt like, um, I felt much, I felt really inadequate because he would just like get up and, you know, work out for three hours a day, four hours a day. Like sometimes on the weekends, he'd be like, I'm going to go for a run and he'd come back 30 miles later and he'd be like, okay, <laughs> just like who does that? And then I would have been sitting on the couch all day, like eating ice cream, watching Netflix. So there, I think, and he never judged me. He never, ever said a word like, Hey, <laughs> maybe you want to go with me or maybe you want to do this. Like he knew it was my internal journey that I needed to figure out on my own. But, but yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. Although here's what's so interesting. He had foundational principles just like you do. Um, and one of them was that his brain and body work better when like, so similar to what you said, it's just like, I need to move my body every day so that I can function so that I can, you know, feel good as a, as a person. And I said to him one day, you know, it's just so easy for you because you just always wake up ready to go to the gym. And he looked at me, he's like, uh, no, I don't. I have to argue with myself every single day, just like you. And that blew my mind. So, wow. Okay. And that comes into like comparing, right? We're comparing ourselves to like what's really going on in someone else's head. But you know, when you met him, where were you on your, like he, he knew who you were when you met him. So it wasn't like, you know, you said it was hard to be married to somebody who was like him when you were at like close to 300 pounds, but it wasn't, I mean, had you like put on tons of weight after you met him or something? Um, I put on trying to think, I, I mean, I probably put on about 50 or 60 pounds after we met. I was heavy when we met. So I never felt like he didn't find me attractive. I never felt like he didn't love me and appreciate me or any of that. Like it was all my own internal inner mean girl stuff Uh that would say terrible stuff. I never got anything from him that I felt like, oh, he doesn't appreciate me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't find me attractive. And, yeah. and it was probably because I was overweight when uh, when we met. And so we met, we got married a couple years later. And shortly after we got married, my mom was diagnosed with ALS. And that really, I just did not have the coping mechanisms to deal with that. And so I ate and I ate, I gained 
And I mean, I probably gained 50 or 60 pounds just in the first year after we were married because I was dealing with my mom and my dad had passed away several years before that. So my mom was my, you know, my only remaining parent and it was, I had a complicated relationship with her. And so I ate to deal with it. And I, I mean, I was just, oh, I felt so physically awful. And I think I I tried to make him the bad guy. I couldn't. I just couldn't because he wasn't a bad guy. Isn't that horrible? Um, I Um, know. But like, yeah, I did see in him like all of these things that he was doing that I wanted to be doing and couldn't seem to get myself to do. And so that was, I think that was the struggle is not comparing myself to him, but like making myself feel worse because I, because he was doing what I wanted to do and I wasn't. Oh, yes. Yeah. It was delightful. (laughs) So we've dissected your first marriage. um, (laughs) And I'm happy to know that, you know, he's, you're on good terms and all that and that you grew through it, you know, and that's, that's an incredible thing. Yeah, I, I think it's just, it was, it was failing forward, I guess, because I like to think of everything that goes wrong in my life or every, every mistake, every Every choice I make in my life that doesn't end up the way I want it to as like, okay, I learned from that, won't do that again. And so that's kind of how I look at my entire marriage, <laughs> right? As like everything that I've done in my life so far. I mean, do you kind of take that that approach to your life as well? Because I, oh. I think you must. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, successful. so I mean, what really just hit me right now when you talked about forward was, I think my biggest fear in life is stagnation. Mm. Like, I don't necessarily care if I'm busting down new barriers or something, being super aggressive in my life with tackling goals and all that. I just don't want to stagnate and I definitely don't want to go backwards. And I'm talking about both like personal development and, you know, physically that's kind of, (laughs) I'm 46. I mean, I was a pro athlete, like I will never be as fit as I was. So, you know, chasing down athletic pursuits has has gained a new meaning. But I'm just talking about in life, feeling like I'm not excited about something. It's not a good feeling to wake up for me and just be like, blah, I don't know what I'm doing. And it takes me back to when I was 22 and I was feeling despondent. And so I don't get there often. Because I find interesting, I don't know, I find joy in little things when I'm, you know, when I'm feeling that stagnation coming on and I push and prod other areas of my life to keep it moving forward. So that idea of failing forward, I think that's really important because at least you're not stagnating. That's how I look at it. <laughs> and, right. when I, and when I do need to kind of sit in a place that's uncomfortable for a period of time, and I'm not talking about like meditating for three minutes like I do sometimes on this one app I have, I'm talking about like <laughs> sitting in a place where I don't know what I'm really doing for weeks or a month or however long, like that's hard for me. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. I can totally imagine. Well, because like, literally, you move your body physically every single day. Right? It's like, it's sort of a metaphor for life. Like, I'm constantly moving physically to, you know, run from point A to point B or swim from point A to point B. And I think, I think athletes have that sort of innate desire to constantly be moving their life forward as well. Yeah, and I think maybe right. not even forward, like sideways or just moving in some direction, like sitting still 
is not comfortable. It's, it's really, really hard. not. It's really hard. And that's why, you know, you get me five years ago, 10 years ago for sure, I could not do yoga to save my life because I felt like it was just sitting around stretching. And <laughs> I wasn't like, my heart rate wasn't that high. And, and now there's something about it that's calling to me. And it yeah. does feel like a workout. I would have done it in the past and not counted it as a workout and still had to go out and work out. Isn't that hilarious? Oh my gosh. Yeah. But now now I am perfectly, I understand I've reached a point where I realize like movement in tiny little ways sometimes can be even more beneficial than busting your ass up a, a steep hill. You know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I feel like busting your ass up the steep hill is sort of a blunt instrument, whereas yoga is like a finely tuned machine. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a healthy dose of both. You know, yeah. I I want to talk before we've been like rocking this. We could talk for like three hours, I think. <laughs> um, when you and I first ha had our first conversation, you mentioned this massive lofty goal that is out there in the universe. And I was like, how are you going to do that? <laughs> Which is, I want to get 1 million women running. Yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh crap. Because there's already a million women loud. running. But like, how do you... How are you doing this? What does this mean to you in a different way than like the facts and statistics that, yes, there are that many women out there running, but how are you uh, translating this? Yeah, well, I mean, I actually, I want to get 1 million more women up and running. And maybe <sighs> it's like, yeah, right, because obviously there's already millions and millions of women that run, but I want to get one, I want to create 1 million new runners. And it, particularly from the population of people that think, oh yeah, it would be great to run a 5K, but that's just not for me. That's something I can't do. I'm not good enough for that. I'm too fat. I'm too old. I'm too slow. I'm too whatever. Like those are the people that I want to convert to running. <laughs> and I'm not against their will, obviously, but I just think that like running, running is like, and, and for some people, maybe it's not running, maybe it's swimming, maybe it's cycling, but like my gig is running and I feel like it helps you it builds your confidence. It it helps you love your body. It helps you respect your body. It helps you have a kick-ass life. And so I just feel like everybody deserves to have that. And so I want to, you know, I've just kind of set this crazy goal of like, okay, I'm going to help a million women start running and get all these things for themselves. And so my, my team and I are trying to figure out how we're going to measure this, right? Because I don't know if I can take on a million clients. Um, although, hey, that would be an, an amazing goal as well. But it's going to be through the podcast. It's going to be through people who read my book. It's going to be through people like I've got free training plans on my website that you can download. You don't ever have to, you know, coach with me at all. Like you can just download the free training plan and do that. And so like that's how I'm going to start measuring this, I think. But the feeling that I want, it's it's that whole thing that we've been talking about, like a reason to like wake up in the morning and be excited um, that I'm like making a contribution that I'm sort of paying back all the people that helped me get to the point that I'm at. I want to, I guess, pay it forward to use the term that we used before. Uh, so yeah, so it's a feeling of, you know, getting a million women up and running kind of motivates me to show up every single day and, and just help as many people as possible. Oh, I love that. Okay. So we're going to get 1 million more women running. 
mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to help you. I don't know how, awesome. but we're going to figure it out. So <laughs> this. <laughs> this is so cool. Um, you've written a bunch of not your average runner books, so we're going to make sure there's links in my podcast. This is a dual podcast. You're going to post it too. It's really long yeah. for yours. <laughs> No, it's actually totally cool. It's totally cool. Mine are like all different lengths. Okay, cool. One thing we didn't talk about though is like, like on why are why have you started skirt sports? Why? Because I actually don't know the full story. Like, what was behind that? What drove you to start that experience or start that um, endeavor? And what kind of drives you forward? Well, it is an experience after all. (laughs) We. uh... Hey, you get in clothing that fits your body and it is a whole new life. Boom. I know. It's amazing. Oh well, you know, it's funny. When I was a professional triathlete, I raced from 1999 till 2005. And I, all through my entire early adult life, experienced these feelings of leaving my femininity, like the girly side of me, just a part of my personality that, I appreciated and thought was important. I would always sort of leave it on the sideline when I went out to race or train because the gear that was available at that time in the world, it's very different now, 14 years later, believe it or not. Um, But it was very unisex. It was not flattering. It didn't fit my body. Everything rode up. There was chafing. Even when you're super, super in shape, you know, and you don't have as much jiggle, Still, nothing fit well. And I specifically remember coming out of the water at a race, peeling off my wetsuit, and I had on kind of this like unitard tri-suit that was like just blue. There was nothing nothing cute about it. And this little boy was standing with his mom like amongst this channel of people cheering, and I hear him go, Mommy, is that a boy or a girl? <laughs> uh, and in my head, I was like, yeah, that's not going to help me today. Because <laughs> um, there is in my, not everyone, you know, adheres to this mindset. But for me, when you look good, you feel good. When you feel good, you perform better. And looking good doesn't need to be about that like smirking, sexy vibe that the millennials are putting out there, you know. <laughs> it can just be feeling good, you know, looking good for yourself. However yeah. that however that manifests. So um, I came up with an idea actually on on a workout, which is when I have my best ideas always. I was on a run and I looked at my reflection in a window, which I often do and did. And um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I look like a boy. That boy was right. <laughs> that child was right. I look like a boy and I am just so uninspired. And I was wearing like all black men's clothing because, you know, you're just wearing what your sponsors give you and all that. And uh, I just, the word pretty hit me hard. And I was like, why can't I look pretty out here? What is so wrong with that? Is there something wrong with that? And why isn't anyone doing this? Why is, why is all clothing for athletes ugly and it doesn't fit? And it's designed by men for women. They don't know anything about our bodies. So I ran home that day and I like started scribbling notes and what came out of that was this thought. I am going to start a women's clothing company that helps you feel look good and feel good on the race course. And that was it. 
And I, I narrowed it down to starting with one piece, which was a fitness skirt or a running skirt, mainly because it had never been done before. It was, you know, only in tennis or golf were athletes wearing skirts. And I just literally became obsessed. So this was at the end of 2003. And I spent about nine months like dreaming and working and learning. And my mind was buzzing in ways that it hadn't buzzed before. And I was researching and having meetings and meeting with like the chambers of commerces and, you know, anyone who would talk to me who touched the world of, of clothing and fitness, I met with. And I just started to develop a plan and creating created prototypes. And I just started learning an entirely new skill, which was how to start a clothing company. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, what's funny is I, I have along the way just used so many things I've gotten in sport, but I always look at look back on it and I'm like, it was like the aid station approach to starting a business. Like, you know, there's an end 26 miles away, say you're doing a marathon. But you really can only think about like the next three miles at a time. And like at each mile marker, you're going to get a drink of water, hydration, and stop for a second and make sure you didn't go off course. And, you know, <laughs> and that's what I did the whole way. And I just, if doors were open, I went through them. If doors were closing, I didn't try too hard to bang them down. Like I took things as signs and, um, and in 2004, I, in September of 2004, I wore a little prototype of this first ever running skirt during the Ironman Wisconsin, and I won the race wearing it. And it was like, boom. Stop! Oh my God. Can you write a better script? No, thank you. I'm starting this company. <laughs> oh my God. That is mind blowing. I did not know that. Like yeah, it, it happened. Like it's real. So yeah, we came so out cool. swinging and we've been, uh, we've been around 14 years. September 12th will be our 14th birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Woo! It so is amazing. Yeah, it's a baby. I mean, and it, it shook my life up, down, and all around and, and really tested my marriage. And I'm like, Tim and I both admit we're just completely shocked that we're still married. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this, like, we had to get through some tough stuff because when you start a new career, the other person in your relationship has to adjust. Mm -hmm. to what that means and it can just be scheduling but it can also be you know how what your priorities become they're not as much on the other person anymore yeah for sure so so yeah it's been incredible and like over all this time i mean i'm shocked that we're still in business because we've been throwing all kinds of wrenches <laughs> and i've had to think like macgyver a lot like fix it with a piece of gum and tape, you know, like <laughs> whatever it takes, make it happen. But I have never believed that it wouldn't succeed. And that I think yeah. is the foundation for anything going forward. If you waver in your belief, especially with something as hard and risky as a startup business, you should probably consider stopping or changing because you can't waver. If you yeah. waver, you're done. It's not that important. You, you literally have to believe it into existence. You have like with the power of your thinking, like this is going to happen. I'm going to make this happen. There's no way it won't succeed. Like keep thinking those thoughts and like you're going to create it. Right. It, oh. But if you're wavering, if you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Because when you were tell telling this story, not once did I hear you say, oh, you know, I really wondered if it was the best idea. I wondered if I could make it happen. Like you were like, no, I just decided 
and with no experience whatsoever in the clothing industry, you just you just created it. I'm like, that is brilliant. It that is, is just. I would I, never like, do it again. Like, <laughs> you just didn't I'm know so, what you didn't know. <laughs> I am so glad I am here, but I would never do it again. And you hit on something that I call willing it to happen. Um, it's funny. I have a couple quick willing it to happen stories, but when I uh, when I was 24, 23 years old, I was sitting on an airplane going to Cancun, Mexico for the world championships um, as an age grouper in triathlon. And I watched all of these incredibly gorgeous athletes walk on the plane and I finally saw one and I was like, that's the one. He will sit next to me. He will sit next to me and I willed it to happen and sure enough he did and it's it's my husband, Tim DeBoom. Sat next to him on an airplane. I willed it to happen. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah, because really I think I think when we believe something, we want something badly enough and we don't have a lot of interfering like, you know, BS stuff that like teaches that that makes us do things that interfere with that. When we just like want something from that pure place of yes, this is gonna happen. It does come to us. It really, really does. <laughs> it does. And it, maybe it's just that your energy is open to it. Yeah. It was going to happen anyway, but you wouldn't have noticed it. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, in, in in business, I've been tested in so many ways, but there's a, there was a tough period during the recession in 2008. And we were manufacturing in Taiwan, which is an incredible country to manufacture small batch um, activewear because they, they have incredible fabrics there and they work with smaller companies and most of the factories are women run. But we were working with a an agent at the time. But what's interesting is now I know better. Um, I thought he was the factory. But it turns out he was like an agent to a bunch of factories, and that wasn't clear. And so we sent him a bunch of money for a down payment for a batch of product that was slated to go into REI and Title IX and a bunch of other big box stores who, if you miss a delivery, you're done. You don't get another chance. And um, so we wire him half of our, our down payment, and we didn't hear from him. And we'd already done some work with them. So it wasn't like this, you know, off the cuff, we're just going to send you a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yes, that much. Um, we, You know, we had history. But then we didn't hear from him. And we didn't hear from him. And he's in Taiwan. And how, I mean, you can only Skype someone every three minutes for so many days or weeks. So finally, um, I talked to a friend of mine who had a company at the time called Golight. And I sat down with one of their founders and she said to me, you know, Nicole, I really feel for you. I don't know what to tell you to do, but you're going to have to will it to happen. And I took that and I thought, there is no answer. The only answer is what I decide to do. And so I called up my dad who was like in his mid sixties at the time he, he did our, he does our financial work with the company. And he, uh, I said, Hey dad, we need to go to Taiwan. We got a little problem over there and I want you to come and deal with it with me. And he said, okay, when? And I said, tomorrow, I just bought you a ticket. <laughs> We're going. <laughs> and we literally flew to Taiwan. We, through some email chain, found one of the factories. We got there. We discussed and negotiated directly with the factory and we willed it to happen and we got our product and we didn't miss our deliveries and we're still here. I mean, those are the things that hit you throughout 
your, you know, these, these endeavors that we choose to do in our lives. And if you're not up to the task or you haven't learned the skills like of hard work and persistence and like making it happen, you know, you're not going to get there. Yeah. I, I love that story because it's just like, all right, how badly do I want this? And what am I willing to do to make it happen? Yeah. We could <laughs> yeah. have sat on Skype for like three more months and then finally been like, oh man, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are moments in your life when you realize now is the time to act now. Yeah. I love that. And I think that you can apply that to, to sports so easily because there's so many times when you're training for a race like a half marathon or a math or a marathon or, a, or, you know, an Ironman distance triathlon. And there's a lot of things like that that come up in the middle of your training and you have to decide, am I going to keep moving forward or am I going to give up? Yeah. And right. There's just, I, I think some people, they get it in their mind. They're like, I'm going to make this happen no matter what I'm going to will this into being. And they just do whatever it takes. But it, you have to have that decision point in your head first that I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to will this to happen. And oh, then you then you like jump into action and you start doing whatever is necessary to make it happen. And you know, I do think there are times when there's a difference between discomfort and injury. Like yeah. Oh yeah. Those are what's really cool about sport. I use the word bonk a lot. Like I get business bonks all the time. And literally, I'm like eating energy bars during business meetings because I'm like, I'm bonking. It's a business bonk, you know, but like <laughs> bonking from a bigger perspective, you have to go, you have to push through your limit all the way to the other side where you're laying on the living room floor, unable to move for two hours, just like bring me a rotisserie chicken now. <laughs> like I can't even go to the store to get it. You know, like you have literally depleted yourself to that level. But, you know, to learn the signs that got you to hitting that bonk point. And so I think like we can use this concept in so many areas of our life. Like when things are starting to turn ugly, sometimes you have to go all the way to the ugly side because you don't know the signs. But after you do that once... Now you know the signs or you're starting to learn them. So hopefully you don't have to go all the way there again and again and again. And I think even with like weight gain and weight loss, you're probably, that's a cycle that you can start to understand the repetitive nature of with uh, marriage issues. You know, you see that there's so many places in life where you can see the cycle repeating and it's only after you hit those times of extreme failure that that now you can start to nail it. Yeah. And sometimes failure is like the best thing that could ever happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jill, we've been on so long. It's been over an hour and oh. my <laughs> podcasts are known for running long. So my listeners won't be at all worried about it. But I always end with one final question. And before I do, I wondered if you have um, any certain final thoughts you want to add before I ask you mine. I get to go last. Um. Okay, well, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you my question then that I that I like to ask people is what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Do you hear the pause? (laughs) (laughs) I do hear the pause. There are so many things. I think what I would do are some of the things that I have told myself I cannot do. And that I literally have a physical reaction 
to doing. For instance, uh, climbing, climbing, doing anything that includes a fear of heights and falling, I don't do because I've had panic attacks doing them. If I did not have that reaction and would not fail, I would climb the highest peak. Um, I don't know if I would start another business. I don't know if I would travel around the world nonstop for 10 years. I'm not sure. It's a really, it's an incredible question because it makes you really start to dig deep into the things that you say you can't do. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love it. Especially when you ask somebody who's super accomplished because they've already got in their mind that there's not much that they can't do. So... (laughs) Well, I think it's true. It is true. I mean, I'm looking straight ahead of myself at a list of three goals for the year. And the first one was learn to surf. And that's something that I was scared to do, but, and I did it. And so I realized with each thing that you're afraid to do as you take baby steps towards doing them and then in a safe environment, you realize that pretty much just about anything is possible. It was just so cool. I love that question. Yeah, it's a good one. Oh, so I didn't really have a great answer, but anything that has to do with the fear of heights, I would do. Which means <laughs> I'm right I probably, there with you, to be honest. <laughs> well, then we probably need to go find a retreat that includes climbing and make it happen. Damn it, Jill, Angie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, all in. <laughs> all right. Well, my final question is that if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Oh, so much advice I have. I know. I believe I know what everybody should do with their lives. Um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I think my advice would just be choose your thoughts wisely. Literally, like literally that it choose your thoughts wisely done also put your shoes on and go for a run <laughs> <laughs> well i am choosing to say thank you very much for an awesome conversation yeah wish, same here i wish we could have done this in person we're gonna have to do it sometime i know well i'll just i'll just have to come out to uh to colorado i actually have a really good friend that lives in denver and i haven't seen her in a while so <laughs> all right <laughs> and well, anytime you're on the east coast you know, I'm all about it. So put me on the list. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Sure. But all yeah, right. thank you. This has been wonderful. Absolutely. It's been amazing. Woohoo. <laughs> this episode deserved a woohoo. Um, that was one of my favorite episodes. Jill is literally one of my new favorite people who I feel like I've known forever and now want to hang with forever. It was also fun sharing some of my key life moments that have been catalysts for change or self-discovery. I hope you found inspiration, joy, and maybe even some new ideas on how to tackle life's challenges. If you are not yet a runner and want to become one, then reach out to Jill, join her Not Your Average Runner community, and become one of her 1 million more women running. I love this. We got to help her with that because at the end of the day, no matter where you are, you need to always remember this. You have the power to choose your thoughts. So choose them wisely. Thank you, Jill, for that awesome advice. And now you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. 
Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.